Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk College Football. On today's episode, I will be doing my preview for the 2018 season, as well as my New Year's Six Bowl predictions with, yes, that includes the playoff. So let's get to it. Hey, it was BYOG. Bring your own guts. Fourth and five, the national championship on the line. Got the big man. I'm taking Notre Dame. Got it. to it we are less than two weeks away from the start of the season i could not be more excited right now this is that time of the year where you're just you're getting really antsy you're going over all the different scenarios in your head but at the end of the day we just need to get on the field and have games be played so it's no better time than to do a preseason prediction I'm not going to necessarily go through and give you like my top 25 or break it down. I'm basically going to go through about 15 to 20 teams that I think have a shot to make some noise this year. These are all going to be teams that I think have at least an outside shot of making the playoff. They all have very good chances if things go their way to make New Year's Six Bowl games. And at the very least, these teams should all finish about 8 and 4 to 10 and 2 to possibly, you know, 11 and 1 undefeated playoff type teams. So, and the reason I do that is because rankings are a little weird to me these days. I don't feel that people look at rankings, at least the top 25, the way that they really should look at them. I feel like a lot of people in today's day and age look at there's a huge difference between number 1 and number 25, and that's usually not the case. I it really irks me when People are breaking down the game. Let's say the number one team or anyone in the top five is playing a team in the 20s or even the teens. And they always say, can this team, the team being in the teens, get the upset? Can this number 15 team get this upset over number two? And I really hate when I hear that because I don't think it's an upset when a team that's ranked beats another team that's ranked. That's not how I view it. I understand that. By definition, when the favor loses, that's always called an upset. But in college football, an upset is a word used when a team that had no business beating that team won. And when ranked teams are playing ranked teams, anybody can win. Especially in the beginning of the season when we just have no idea who's good. Um, when you turn on ESPN and you watch, let's say, College Football Live right now, you'll see everybody just saying that Alabama and Clemson are going to the playoff and that we all know who's going to the playoff. We don't have to write it off. And there's truth to that. Those probably are your two best bets. But let's let's go back and look at some history, okay? In 2010, Oregon started the season ranked number 11. They went undefeated, found themselves ranked number 2, and going to the national championship game against Auburn. And Auburn started the season ranked number 22, and found themselves ranked number one going into the national championship game. So 
anything can happen. 2015, Clemson went from number 12 to number 2. They ended up playing in the national title. Oklahoma went from number 19 that year to number 3, found themselves in the playoff. Uh, in 2016, Washington started out number 14. They climbed all the way to number 4 and made the playoff. And just last year, Georgia was preseason number 15, and their starting quarterback went down week one, and they still climbed all the way to number one and made the playoff. So anything can happen, especially with these preseason ranked teams. Sometimes teams that aren't even ranked in the beginning of the season make a huge surprise. In 2013, Auburn was unranked going into the season, and they found themselves number two in the nation, SEC champions playing for the national championship after starting the season unranked. So in modern college football, there's more parity right now than I think we've ever had it. Every season kind of varies, but for the most part, you have to be on your A game to win a game. And a lot of times these you see these upsets, real upsets happen right after a team has beaten a very good team, usually at home, and then they go and play in what's called a trap game on the road the next week against a team they think they should beat, and they just can't emotionally match the intensity they had the week before when playing a high-powered team. And college football is such a mental game. There's so many things that go into it. The players, they watch ESPN. They see all the rankings. They watch all the talk shows. So they know what's going on in it's hard for them to not get caught up in the hype that, that the media will put on them. And they think, hey, everybody's saying we're really, really good, so we must be really, really good. And everybody's saying that this team has no business beating us, so we should be able to walk all over this team. And that is a recipe for disaster in college football. So with that being said, let's get into it and let me break down all the teams that I think have a chance to quote-unquote make some noise. And again, like I said, that basically just means that at the very least, these teams should all be competing for their divisions. Because if you win your division, you have a chance to go play in your conference championship. And if you go and play in your conference championship, you have a chance to go play in a New Year's Six Bowl game, which is the ultimate goal of college football. And if you're lucky enough and you play in that conference championship game and win with a good enough record, you could be selected as a Final Four team and go play in the college football playoff, which this year is... The Orange Bowl and the Cotton Bowl and the National Championship will be played in San Francisco at Levi's Stadium. So this is in no particular order. I'm going to start from the top, start with Alabama, but as I go through these teams, it's not like this is necessarily my ranking one, two, three, four, It's but I am going to start from the top. So let's start with Alabama. Alabama, the team that every single year finds a way to either be in the playoff, be in the championship game or at the very least, make a New Year's Six Bowl game, which is normally the ceiling for most teams. Like, that's their goal. For Alabama, their down years have been going to a New Year's Six Bowl game, with the exception of 2010 when they went to, I think, like the Capital One Bowl. Literally, 2010 was the last time they lost more than two games a season. I believe they finished 10-3 and that year and, like, destroyed Michigan State in the Capital One Bowl. But other than that, every other year from 2008 to last year, they found themselves 11-1, and undefeated, in the mix for the national championship game, the playoff, or maybe they got upset before the playoff was installed. Like in 2013, Auburn beat them. They ended up in the Sugar Bowl. So no different this year. They are loaded. This might be the best offense that Nick Saban has had at Alabama. Pretty much the whole offensive line is back. They're all studs. 
they're very, very deep at running back. When you talk about Damian Harris, who will be a senior, that guy is a bruiser. He's a workhorse. They have true sophomore Najee Harris, who was the number one running back recruit last year. He looked good as a freshman. He ended up taking most of the carries there at the end of the national championship game. And then they also have Josh Jacobs, who's another running back that could probably be starting at 90% of other schools. So they're loaded at running back. Their offensive line's good. Their run game should be just as powerful as Alabama run games always are. Then you look at the receiver. They're really loaded at receiver. Three really good sophomores coming to this season. You can start with Devonta Smith, who caught the game-winning touchdown pass against Georgia in the national championship last year. Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy. These are all well-rounded wide receivers that can all go out and make plays, run good routes, make good catches. And then there's the kind of the X factor for Alabama, which is the quarterback battle. And I'm not really even calling this a battle. Everyone knows that Tua Tungavailoa is going to be the starter. And he is probably, no, he's definitely the best passing quarterback that Nick Saban has had just based on arm talent. Um, Nick Saban usually has a game manager, which is what Jalen Hurts was, but he could run. But you look at all the quarterbacks that that Nick Saban's had, whether it was uh, Greg McElroy, who won a national championship in 2009. He was the definition of a game manager. Then you have A.J. McCarron. And it's not to say that these guys couldn't make throws. They definitely could throw the ball, but they were overall considered game-managing quarterbacks, right? A.J. McCarron. Then from A.J. McCarron, you had Blake Sims for a year. Then you had um, A.J. Coker for a year, or Jake Coker, excuse me, for a year when they won the national championship in 2015. Then the last two years, we've had Jalen Hurts, who has been an amazing athlete, a good runner, but also, at the end of the day, still kind of a game manager. And it wasn't until the second half of the championship game last year that we saw Tua Tungavailoa come in, and he was able to make throws that Alabama quarterbacks over the last decade just haven't been able to make. So... That's pretty scary, knowing that this is probably going to be, on paper, the most explosive offense that Nick Saban has had since he's been at Alabama. If there are any weaknesses with Alabama this year, I would have to say that it's the secondary. They lost like five guys to the draft last year um, in the defensive backfield. Now they always replace those guys every single year with more five-star studs, but they don't have a lot of experience, which is could be a cause for concern. You know, Minka Fitzpatrick, the last couple of years, has been a field general back there for the secondary, and he's gone along with four other starters. You talk about Harrison's gone, Brown's gone. They also have their a new D coordinator. This is their third new D coordinator in four years. So that can sometimes cause some confusion, but if anybody can handle that sort of change, it's, it's Nick Saban. And then... One thing that I think people need to talk about is there's quarterback controversy at Alabama. I know I said that two is probably the go-ahead starter, but we don't know how the locker room feels about this situation. You know, Jalen Hurts is like 26-2 and two as a starter over the last two years. A lot of guys have played a lot of games with Jalen Hurts. He's their guy. And if they feel like he's being treated unfairly, that could cause a divide in the locker room. And divides in the locker room are in my opinion, one of the number one disasters and number one ways to not achieve what you're capable of in college football. You also look at Alabama's schedule this year, and 
it's the easiest schedule they've had in a long, long time. They probably won't play a ranked team until November 3rd at LSU, and that's if LSU is kind of exceeding expectations. So this schedule is incredibly easy. They do play a kickoff game, as they do every year, this year in Orlando against Louisville, but this is probably one of the easier kickoff games they've played in, at least on paper. Louisville isn't the team they've been the last couple of years. Not that they were even that great when they had Lamar Jackson the last few years. So they should win that game. They should probably blow Louisville out. Then if you look at some other notable games, September 22nd, they play Texas A&M. That should be a win. You know, then, like I said, November 3rd, they're at LSU. November 10th, they play Mississippi State at home. And then they end the season with Auburn at home. So Alabama has an incredibly easy schedule by their standard, I think. But I do also think that this is one of the weaker Alabama teams. I know I just got them talking about how explosive the offense is, but I even thought last year that on paper that that team was not as dominant as a lot of the other Alabama championship teams and playoff teams that we've seen. Even some teams that didn't make the championship game, like like in 2013, um, I think that team was even better than Alabama last year. So this is a, an Alabama team that I think on paper could go 10-2, and two, but when I look at their schedule, I just don't see losses. They're also so good at scheduling. They never have tough games back-to-back ever. They always have a bye week before they play LSU. So I don't see Alabama losing more than one game. I think they might trip up and lose to Auburn again, but that game's at home. Nick Saban's never lost to Auburn two years in a row. So we very easily could be looking at an undefeated Alabama team that gets into the SEC championship undefeated and then would probably have to play maybe a Georgia or, yeah, probably just Georgia (laughs) coming from the East. So they should be in the playoff on paper, but we just have to see what happens. Okay, let's talk about Clemson. Another team that everyone says, just like Alabama, is probably going right back to the playoff. And if you're going to talk about Clemson, you have to start with their defensive line. I mean, this is one of the best defensive lines on paper returning that I've ever seen in college football. Uh, Cleland Farrell, Dexter Lawrence, Christian Wilkins, Austin Bryant, all four of those guys are going to be big-time draft picks in the NFL. It's amazing that the three eligible players didn't go pro last year. They all came back, which... Just shows you how good of a culture Clemson has. But it's not just those guys. They also have depth. They have two five-star freshman defensive linemen coming in with Xavier Thomas and KJ Henry. Those guys were very, very sought after. And I'm sure they will also get on the field this year, especially with the new um, redshirt rule. So Clemson's defensive line up front is just ridiculously good. As Kirk Kerbstreet said, against Louisville last year. Clemson has an embarrassment of riches at every position, most notably the D-line. They have depth at quarterback. Kelly Bryant is returning. He had a really good year last year. And then they have a stud freshman coming in named Trevor Lawrence, who a lot of people think might take the job. So Clemson's in a very good position when it comes to quarterback, either a returning starter that you know led them to the playoff last year is going to be taking snaps and if he's not taking snaps it's because someone is better than him which would just be even more scary 
They have, you know, good receiver depth with Hunter Renfro. He's entering his 28th year at Clemson, it seems like. He's finally a senior. And then look for T. Higgins to be the playmaker. He's going to be the Mike Williams, the Deion Kane, the Sammy Watkins of this team. Last year as a freshman, he caught some pretty unbelievable passes. And now that he's a sophomore, look for him to totally settle in. And then a running back, again, just like usual, the Clemson's loaded. The main guy this year is going to be Travis Etienne, it looks like. He was explosive last year as a freshman. He broke a lot of long runs. They also have uh, Choice coming back. He's going to be good. So they have depth at every position on the offense. They're going to put up a lot of points. They're going to be very hard to beat. Um, the only real weaknesses I see with them is, again, kind of like I said with Alabama, there could be quarterback controversy. And I bring that up, again, because I don't think people realize how important or how tough that can be. If there's legit quarterback controversy and the locker room gets divided, that can be disastrous. Now, Dabo Sweeney doesn't seem like the type of guy that's going to let that happen. Whatever his plan is, whether he is going to go with Kelly Bryant or he does end up going with the freshman Trevor Lawrence, I'm sure he has a way to navigate that so that his team stays focused. Unlike Alabama, though, Clemson has a pretty tough schedule. The ACC Atlantic, I think, is one of the toughest divisions in college football. Um, if you talk about just some of their notable games, they're all on the road this year. They're at Texas A&M on September 8th. They're at Georgia Tech on September 22nd, at Florida State October 27th, and they're at Boston College on November 10th. And then, again, like I said with Alabama, they don't have tough games back-to-back. Listen to this stretch that Clemson has, starting with October 20th versus NC State. Very next week, they're at Florida State, then they have Louisville at home, then they're at Boston College, who Boston College is no joke this year, guys. They're going to beat some teams. And then they have Duke at home, who, again, Duke is nothing special, but a lot of people think Duke might go 9-3, and 8-4 and four on the other side of the division. They're no one you can just sleepwalk against. And then after the Duke, game they have South Carolina at home and South Carolina should be another improved team now none of those teams on paper can compete with Clemson besides maybe Florida State but that's a tough stretch it's a really tough stretch and I don't see them getting through that stretch undefeated hardly anyone goes undefeated anymore it's just not a thing that doesn't mean they're not going to make the playoff I do have Clemson losing one game and winning the division and going to the ACC championship game, but definitely look for them to lose one of those games along that stretch. All right, now let's segue over to Georgia. Georgia, the defending SEC champions and national champion runners-up. They came up one place short of winning the national championship game last year to Alabama, and Georgia's going to be very good again. They have Jake Fromback, who was a really, really talented freshman quarterback last year. Jacob Eason goes down week one. Jake Fromm comes in, and they really don't skip a beat at all. He leads the team all the way to the national championship game and look for him to be even better than he was last year, now coming in as a, as a true sophomore. They have eight returning starters on offense, all but one on the O-line, they do lose Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle, their two monster running backs, but DeAndre Swift, who was a freshman last year, looks like he has a ton of talent. And then coming in behind him, Georgia just signed two of the top-rated running backs coming out of high school, and Zamir White, who was a huge prospect, and James Cook, who's Dalvin Cook's brother. Now, 
the other day I heard that Zamir White hurt his knee at practice. Hopefully that's nothing big. Don't know the extent of the injury yet, but assuming all those, all three of those guys are healthy, Georgia's going to develop a lot of running back depth once again. The only thing to be worried about there is that Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb were tremendous leaders. They were senior and a junior. They were both really, really good leaders for the team. And leadership is very key. And when you lose leaders, that can sometimes cause problems. Especially now if we go over to the defensive side of the ball where they only have four returning starters on defense. Georgia's defense was phenomenal last year. Led by Roquan Smith, who was an amazing playmaker on defense and also, again, a tremendous leader. He's gone. They have a lot of guys to replace. But Georgia's been recruiting really well. They just signed the number one overall recruiting class with six five stars, 12 four stars. So look for a lot of freshmen to get some playing time. Um, Georgia has a lot of hype, of course, this year because of last year, because of what they have returning on offense. Some notable games. Week two, they're at South Carolina. October 13th, they go to LSU. October 27th, they have the rivalry game with Florida. And then November 10th, they have their game against Auburn, but that is at home this year. And everybody is hyping up Georgia, rightfully so. But I do want to talk about a little bit of history when it comes to Georgia. In 2002, that was Mark Rick's second year. Georgia won the SEC championship game, and they actually almost made the national championship game. But guess what? They never won the SEC again under Mark Rick, even though they came close a couple of times. 2007 was a really good year, and they won the Sugar Bowl that year. There was a ton of hype for Georgia going into 2008, but they came up short. They got blown out by Alabama early that year, and they were definitely a little overrated. Everybody was picking them to go to the national championship that year, and they just couldn't get it done. 2012, they made it to the SEC championship game but lost a nail-biter to Alabama, which cost them a shot at the national title. Coming into 2013, they were super hyped again. A lot of people thought, is this the year? But they, I believe they lost their opener to Clemson, and then Aaron Murray ended up going down, and the season just didn't manifest in the way that they expected. So Georgia has a history of not playing well when they have a lot of preseason hype. Now, was that a Mark Rick thing, or was that a Georgia thing? We'll find out this year. But I definitely think Georgia's going to take a little bit of a step back. I see them going maybe 10-2 and two this year, because again, the leadership just isn't there that was there last year. Now, next year, I think they'll probably be the team to beat as this amazing recruiting class manifests into you know sophomores and guys with experience but this year I do see them taking just a slight step back they're still going to be very very hard to beat but I see them going 10 and 2 this year now let's talk about Ohio State and I'm assuming right now that Urban Meyer is coming back and he's going to be the coach and until we have more information on that I'm not even going to let that play into my prediction so as of right now Urban Meyer is the head coach and nothing's going on Okay, so Ohio State offense is going to be unreal. They lose JT Barrett at quarterback, the legendary leader of that team. He was there for four years playing quarterback. But he had his limitations when it came to passing the football. So his replacement is most likely going to be Dwayne Haskins. Or there's a very talented redshirt freshman, Tate Martell, but most people think it's going to be Dwayne Haskins, who 
is a better passer than JT Barrett was. We already know that. So just knowing that, let me explain to you how freaking scary the Ohio State offense should be. They are replacing two offensive linemen with Billy Price and Jamarcus Jones. Those guys were all conference. But they do have some depth and seniority on the offensive line, and I think their offensive line should be solid. And as long as the offensive line is solid, watch out. J.K. Dobbins, back at running back, he rushed for over 1,400 yards last year and averaged 7.2 yards per carry. Behind him is Mike Weber, who will be a senior and, again, is a guy that could probably be starting at most all the other Big Ten schools, but he's the backup at Ohio State. So the running back depth is ridiculous. And then receiver, this is where it gets ridiculous. Listen to these names. Paris Campbell, J.K. Hill, Benjamin Victor, Terry McLaren, Austin Mack, and Johnny Dixon. All of those guys are ridiculous athletes and playmakers. Every single one of them has the ability to make giant plays. I mean, when you look at Paris Campbell, that guy is a barn burner, speedster, very hard to catch in the open field. You could say the same thing about Johnny Dixon. Then you look at guys like J.K. Hill. He's just an overall freak athlete, tons of agility, very versatile type player. Benjamin Victor can snatch balls. He's amazing at catching, and he runs very clean routes. Austin Mack, a really, really good route runner, and he makes some very tough catches a lot of times. Ohio State's biggest problem on offense is going to be who all do they want to distribute the ball to? They can give the ball to J.K. Dommens, Mike Weber running the ball, or they can distribute it out to a number of very, very talented receivers. It's going to be hard for probably any Ohio State player to stand out in the Heisman race because of how much distribution there probably will be. And again, they lose a receiver or two due to injury, no problem, because there are literally five to six guys that are uber talented at that position. Now, even though their offense might be better than they've ever been, you come to the defensive side of the ball, and they're replacing three of their top four defensive linemen. Sam Hubbard's gone. Jaquan Holmes is gone. They're replacing two of their three starting linebackers. Jerome Baker, Chris Worley are gone. And they're replacing three of their five defensive backs. Damian Webb, Eric Smith, and Denzel Ward are all gone. And all of those guys I just named from the D-line linebackers and defensive back, those are were all studs. Very, very talented defensive players. It's going to be hard for Ohio State to match their production on defense with all of those guys gone. Nick Bosa is back. He's a very, very talented defensive end. A lot of people say he's even better than his brother Joy was at this point, which is hard to believe. But let's just look at some things that Ohio State does. They're always looked at as this uber-talented team that has to be in the playoff. And no matter what happens to them the year before, we look at them as like, they're, they're the head team. They should win the Big Ten. They should win the, win the Big Ten. And rightfully so, they deserve that respect. But Ohio State always does have some head-scratchers. I mean, last year, with all those defensive guys on the team, they couldn't stop Oklahoma in the second half of that game in Columbus. They also got blown out by Iowa, and a lot of that was Barrett's fault throwing some picks, but how do you give up 55 points to Iowa when you're Ohio State and you have all of those defensive athletes that I just named off? They also lost to Clemson 31 to nothing in the playoff a couple years ago. They lost to Michigan State in 2015 and missed the playoff when they were 
definitely much more talented than that team. Um, but they're still super talented. An Ohio State team, especially with Urban Meyer at the helm, always has the chance to make some noise to make the playoff. Let's look at some of their notable games real quick. Early on, they go to Arlington on September 15th, and they're playing TCU. That will be a tough game, but again, TCU's defense, like, are they really going to be able to stop all that offensive firepower from Ohio State? I'm not sure. The really tough game is they're at Penn State on September 29th, and then very shortly after that, they're at Michigan State. Those are going to be two hard games. And then, of course, they end the season November 24th against Michigan, which is going to be a tough game, always is. A lot of people think this is the year that Michigan finally gets Ohio State. We'll see. I have Ohio State going 10-2 and and losing their division. I have Penn State winning. We'll get to that later. But I really see Ohio State going 10-2 and here. They just The Big Ten East is very tough. It's very top-heavy. You have four teams that could potentially make the playoff, and I do see a lot of them beating up on each other. So... Ohio State, very, very talented. And then, of course, I guess even if Urban Meyer is back, some people think that that off-the-field controversy will play in. I don't think it'll play in. I think if he gets cleared to coach and is coaching, that the players and the staff, they will immediately forget about what's been going on, and it'll be business as usual. The media might not let it go. Angry fans on game days might not let it go, but I don't think that's going to really bother the Ohio State locker room. If anything, it'll just give them fuel and something to be mad about, and they'll go out and play really hard. I mean, Urban Meyer-motivated teams with a chip on their shoulder are probably some of the scariest things that we've seen in the last decade in college football. So I've talked about four really good teams. That is a lot of people's playoff teams right there, those four teams I just talked about, or at least three of the four. But None of those teams are actually in my playoff, and this team I'm about to talk about is in my playoff prediction, and that is Washington. The Huskies, led by Chris Peterson, I think this year is going to be a very, very good year for Washington. Jake Browning, his last year, he's going to be very good, I think. He has his limitations, but he's good enough to get it done. He's not spectacular, but he's proven he's good enough to win, and he can hand the ball off to a very underrated but very, very talented running back, Miles Gaskin. I love Miles Gaskin. I think he is one of my favorite running backs to watch. He always busts out big runs, he makes big plays, and he always runs hard. You'll never see Miles Gaskin taking a playoff or running out of bounds. He loves contact. Not to say he can't juke you out of your shoes. He's a very versatile running back, and I think his running attack will allow for Jake Browning to make big throws and do big things. But where I think Washington really has the advantage is on their defense, solid linebackers, and their secondary is absolutely ridiculous. Austin Joyner should be an All-American this year. He's a stud. Elijah Molden, Jordan Miller, Byron Murphy, all of those guys should make up for a very, very, very talented secondary. They are replacing, obviously, Vita Vera on the D-line. He was a guy that constantly needed double-teamed last year. Um, And I actually think that's the X factor for Washington is their D-line. If their D-line holds up and they stop the run against teams like Auburn that they play, like Stanford, then people aren't going to pass them. That's also why I don't think Oregon has a chance against them because that secondary is not going to let Herbert beat them. It's not going to let Jared Stidham beat them. If the D-line holds up, then I think they're going to be very, very tough to beat. 
And another X factor for Washington is Chris Peterson. Chris Peterson doesn't lose big games. If you look at Washington's schedule this year, they open up with Auburn and Atlanta. If they win that game, I really have a hard time thinking that they don't make the playoff. And I, and I really think they're going to win that game. Because Chris Peterson's track record in openers or bowl games is very, very good. You go all the way back to 2006, the Fiesta Bowl, that legendary game with Boise State versus Oklahoma. They won that 43-42 to in overtime. 2009, Boise State was hosting Oregon in the home opener, and they won that 19-8. to And that was an Oregon offense that went on to average like over 40 points a game that won the pack. 10 at that time. Um, the 2009 Fiesta Bowl, they beat number three TCU, 17 to 10. Again, using trick plays and amazing play calling and coaching to get that done. The 2010 kickoff game against Virginia Tech, who was ranked number 13 at the time, they beat 33 to 30. In 2011, they played another kickoff game against Georgia. They won that 35 to 21. And I just think that Chris Peterson is going to have that Washington team prepared to beat Auburn week one, not just from a coaching standpoint, but like I said, Auburn's strong suits match up well. A lot of people are heavy on Auburn this year because of Jared Stidham and his ability to throw the ball to match the run game. But like I said, Washington's secondary is not going to get beat very often. So if they can shut down or limit Auburn's rushing attack, then they should win that game. Auburn also has a history of, of starting the season slow. So I really am giving that game to Washington. The only other really challenging game Washington's going to have after that is at Oregon on October 13th and then November 3rd against Stanford. I think that they're going to win those games just based on the matchups. Also, even if they... Well, first of all, if they beat Auburn, they, they can afford a hiccup even. You know, if they go 11-1... and one, and win the Pac-12, they're going to the playoff. They just are, especially if they beat Auburn. And even if they lose to Auburn in a close game in the opener and then run the table after that, they will also be in the playoff, especially if Auburn has a strong season. So I'm really high on Washington this year. I expect them to be in the playoff and definitely the most talented team in the Pac-12 by far. So look for them to make a lot of noise. I think this is going to be a great year for Miles Gaskin. Look for him to maybe get in the Heisman conversation if Washington is one of those top four teams by the end of the year, and maybe even Jake Browning, if he's able to lead them to a very successful season and he has good efficiency, then look for him to maybe get in that mix as well. I don't see that happening, but you never know. Okay, now let's talk about another team that I have in the playoff, and that is Penn State. And the reason I have Penn State over all the other very, very talented teams in the Big Ten East is because they have the best quarterback by far. Trace McSorley is freaking awesome. 66.5% completion percentage last year. This guy is a playmaker. He loves the game. I think he's going to be this year's Baker Mayfield. Even last year and the year before that, he was a lighter version of Baker Mayfield. This guy loves the game. He's very passionate in the way he plays, and he's a tremendous leader. He has good receivers coming back. Juwan Johnson, who's a junior. They have a other handful of experienced guys. And then they signed Justin Shorter, a five-star receiver, who is an all-world recruit. And 
reports coming out of their camp is that there are two other freshman recruits that are doing even better than him in camp. So he's going to have weapons and he's going to get it done. I know what a lot of you are thinking is, well, what about Saquon Barkley being gone? And yes, Saquon Barkley was amazing, one of the most talented running backs that we've seen in a long time, but I don't think that they're going to miss that much in the run game. Most of their offensive line is back. They're very experienced, and they have Miles Sanders, who was a good running back. They also have Ricky Slade coming in, another all-purpose five-star freshman running back who people are raving about. So look for him to start splitting carries with Miles Sanders towards the end of the season. They're going to have depth. They also have overall depth on their team. They had the number six recruiting class last year. Before that, they had the number 15 recruiting class. So all the sophomores, juniors on this team are talented. There's guys on this team that we don't know of yet that are going to be good, experienced starters come the end of the year. Now, where they do need to get better is their run defense. Their run defense was not the best last year. And they are replacing both their D tackles. They are replacing two inside linebackers. But Micah Parsons is looking good in practice. A lot of people say he's another talented five-star recruit. Uh, They might have to worry about the pass game. All four of their starters are gone. They still have good experience returning, but they technically do lose those four starters. And then one thing that's a little interesting is I wasn't going to even pick Penn State for this reason until I saw the Fiesta Bowl last year, but they do have a new offensive quarter coming in. Joe Moorhead, of course, goes to Mississippi State to be the head coach. But Ricky Hain called a very good Fiesta Bowl last year in their win over Washington. The offense did not seem to miss a beat. So if he's as good as Joe Moorhead was back there, then their offense should be just fine. Um, If you look at some notable games... For Penn State, they have Ohio State at home on September 29th. Then they have a bye week, and right after that, they have Michigan State at home. That's a tough stretch, but again, they have that bye week in there. But then the end of the season is a little scary. They are at Wisconsin. I mean, sorry, they are at Michigan November 3rd, and then the very next week they have Wisconsin um, at home, and that is tough. You know, on top of playing Ohio State, Michigan State, and Michigan, the three other monster programs and talented teams in the Big Ten East. They also draw Wisconsin, who's a very good team from the West. So their schedule is very tough. I think because they have a lot of those games at home that they will win the home games. And even if they slip up to a Michigan on the road or do lose one of those home games, I still think they're going to go 11-1, and make the Big Ten championship game, and either rematch with Wisconsin, which if they lose to Wisconsin in the regular season, they'll probably win the rematch. That's just how things go a lot of times. So I see Penn State going 11-1 and and making the playoff this year. And now I'm going to talk about another team I have going to the playoff, three playoff teams in a row. But this one is, I think, going to surprise a little people even more than my Penn State pick, and that is Notre Dame. I can't wrap my head around why people are not very high on Notre Dame this year. I think a lot of people look at it as they had two really good offensive linemen leave, you know, Quentin Nelson, high draft pick, and Mike McKinley. But they do have a lot of experience coming back on the O-line still, so that's why I don't think that'll be a big deal. They also lost, yes, a very good running back in Josh Adams, but they have Dexter Williams, a senior, coming back at running back. He was pretty good last year. I think he'll carry the load. And if you look at Notre Dame and Brian Kelly's tenure there, they always replace guys. 
they never have giant drop-offs with players. Part of that's because they never have monster five-star recruits, but they always seem to have like 24-star recruits. Tons of guys that are usually never good enough to get on the field as true freshmen and make big plays, but guys that by the time they're sophomores, juniors, and seniors are always very phenomenal and solid football players. Their defense is very experienced and loaded with juniors and seniors. I think it's going to be a very stingy defense, a very hard defense to move the ball against through the air or the ground. You're going to have to be very patient to move the ball in Notre Dame this year. And I think a lot of people also write off Notre Dame because they don't think their quarterback situation is very solid. And that's true. Brian Wimbush is not an amazing quarterback, and but he is going into a battle this year with Ian Book. And I think with mediocre quarterback play, Notre Dame is good enough to go 9-3. and three. And that's why I think if those quarterbacks are just good enough or play above what we think they're capable of, they definitely can go 11-1, and one, which would get them into the playoff. If Notre Dame goes 11-1 and one any year with their schedule, they're in the playoff. And speaking of schedule, that's another reason why I think they will be good this year because while they still have a very tough Notre Dame schedule, it's not quite as ridiculous as their schedule normally is. Their very first game is against Michigan, but that's at home. September 29th, they play Stanford. That's also at home. October 6th, they're at Virginia Tech. That's going to be tough, but I do think that they're a little bit more talented than Virginia Tech and should get that win. November 10th, they play Florida State. That one could be tough, but that's also at home. And then November 29th, they're at USC. And I just don't see USC being able to physically match Notre Dame and get that win. One part of their schedule that could be a little tricky is the stretch where they are at Wake Forest then have Stanford at home, and then immediately go to Virginia Tech. That three-game stretch is a little tough because, again, Wake Forest, look for that to possibly possibly be a trap game because Wake Forest probably shouldn't beat Notre Dame and doesn't have any business doing so, but they're not a team you can just go into and beat without trying, especially because that game is before the Stanford game. I just see how that could be a little tricky for them with two really hard games coming after that. So... Look for that. Um, Going back to the quarterback and who his weapons are, like I said, Dexter Williams at running back, and they have some depth there. And then receivers. They are replacing um, Aquinas St. Brown, who was a really good wide receiver, and Kevin Stefferson. But Notre Dame's always replacing a couple really good, talented wide receivers and bringing in solid route runners and catchers. This year they'll have Miles Boykin coming back, uh, Chase Claypool, Chris Fink, Those guys all made clutch catches last year, and they'll be even better this year, and then there'll be guys under them. So Notre Dame is very solid, and I do have them slipping up against Florida State at home just because I think Florida State's probably going to lose some games early. Therefore, Notre Dame might take them a little light, especially if they're undefeated. Also, I'm going to that game, and I want Florida State to win, so that could just be my bias coming out there. But regardless of whether the loss comes to Florida State or Stanford, Notre Dame is not in a conference, so they don't have to worry about getting kicked out of their conference championship game by losing a division game, and their schedule's tough enough that if they go 11-1, and they're going to be in the playoffs. So I have high expectations for Notre Dame this year. This could be the year that they finally get it done. They came close in 2012, but they were blasted in the national championship game by Alabama. I think this is one of the better Notre Dame teams that Brian Kelly's had, so we'll see what happens. And moving on from Notre Dame, I'm going to now talk about Auburn. 
And Auburn's always a tough team to figure out. But if there's one thing we know about Gus Malzahn's Auburn teams, whether he's been the head coach of them or back when he was the O coordinator, it's if he has a good quarterback, his teams are very hard to beat. And Jared Stidham is a very good quarterback. And he's a very good passer, which is not something that Gus Malzahn usually has to add to his offense. Now, Auburn has had a 1,000-yard rusher each of the last nine seasons. The only other program that can say that is Boise State. And I definitely think Cam Martin, their junior running back, who's replacing Cameron Sardis Payne, is going to be a 1,000-yard rusher this year, no doubt. And he averaged six yards a carry last year. He's very fast, explosive. He isn't built the way that a lot of Auburn running backs have been built. He's not a Trey Mason. He's not a Cameron Artis Payne when it comes to his physicality, but I'm sure they have guys behind him that will be able to split carries. They have more physical guys. Um, their fullback Cox is good. He could take some of those carries off. But the other thing is, is because they can throw the ball downfield in ways that a lot of Auburn teams haven't been able to do, I think he'll be just fine. Auburn has all of their top seven wide receivers coming back this year. They have Darius Slayton, Eli Stove, Will Hastings, Ryan Davis, and Nate Craig Myers. Now, Eli Stove and Will Hastings both had knee injuries during spring. They tore their ACLs, but they are expected to be back at some point this season. Maybe not right away, but it doesn't even matter because there's tremendous talent at receiver um, behind them regardless. Uh, Auburn should also have a very dominant D-line, probably second to Clemson. You know, Derek Brown, Dontavious Russell, and Marlon Davidson are all projected NFL NFL guys, and they will probably have the most dominant D-line in the SEC. Now, some weaknesses might be they are replacing most of their offensive line, so they have a new O-line, but we haven't really seen Auburn under Goss Melzahn have a bad O-line, maybe some mediocre ones but they're always solid they always find a way to rush the ball very well so if they can protect Jared Stidham then this Auburn team is going to be very very good now the secondary is also maybe a cause for concern with them they're talented but they don't have a ton of experience and they definitely don't have a lot of depth so that might be an area of concern the only other concern I have for them is Auburn's schedule is very very tough we already talked about that opening game on September 1st against Washington in Atlanta. That's going to be a very tough one. Again, Auburn runs a very basic system of they like to run the ball down your throat, and then they like to do play-action passing off of that. Washington has had the entire offseason to focus in on that, and we already talked about how good Chris Peterson is with games like that. So I think that's going to be a really hard game for Auburn to win. Gus Malzahn is a trickster, though. He likes to pull stuff out of the trick playbook also so that'll actually be a really fun game to see him versus chris peterson who gets the notch there two weeks later they have lsu lsu is going to be desperate in that game because i think they're going to lose their opener to miami and if auburn and lsu are both um have a loss at that point then that game could be for ed Ogeron's job not that i think that should be the case but probably that will be the case october 6th they're at mississippi state then November 3rd, they play Texas A&M, and the very next week, they're at Georgia. That's tough. And then, of course, they end the year with Alabama, but they're at Alabama this year. So 
Auburn has a very high ceiling. I actually have them winning the SEC. I think they will slip up twice. I have them losing to Washington, and then I think they could either lose that LSU game or maybe at Mississippi State, maybe Georgia. But I actually do have them upsetting Alabama again, which would give them the division. Um, and then I have them winning the SEC championship. But with two losses, I think other teams will get the playoff over them. I actually don't have an SEC team in the playoff this year. Oh, no. And that's not because of the SEC being down or anything. I just think that if Auburn gets that win, wins the division, that Alabama's not going to get in this year. Let's say the Alabama's 11-1. and This year, that's not going to get them in the playoff. If other teams are one-loss teams that win their conference championships, then Alabama won't get in the playoff going 11-1, and losing to Auburn like they did last year. But this next team is my fourth and final playoff team, and I think this one might be the most surprising one to people of my playoff predictions, and that is Miami. What? That means Clemson's not going to the playoff? Yeah, I'm actually predicting Miami to go to the playoff, and I'll tell you why. They are loaded on both sides of the ball when it comes to talent. I don't see a huge drop-off in skill position players, both offense and defense, when it comes to Miami and Clemson. I think they're very similar. I do think Clemson has more depth, and that is a big factor. But if you look at the skill positions at Miami, I mean, running back, they have Travis Homer and DJ Dallas. Both these guys were tough, tough runners last year, made big plays. And then receiver, I actually think at receiver, Miami has Clemson beat. Ahmad Richards, who had injuries last year, but people forget when he was a freshman, he looked very, very good. If he even plays remotely close to his freshman season, he's going to be a very, very good receiver. And Jeff Thomas, who was a speedster freshman last year, he'll be a sophomore. Mike Harley will be a sophomore this year. He was good. They have a big tight end, Lawrence Cager, who's really athletic, very big. He's going to create a lot of mismatches for defenses in the ACC. And then they also have Daryl Langham, who made like every clutch catch last year. Even though they do lose Braxton Berrios, I think they'll be totally fine at receiver. And Miami, I also think, has probably the best linebacker unit in the country. When you talk about Shaq, Quarterman, Michael Pickney, and Zach McLeod, these guys hit hard. They're run stoppers, but can also cover the pass. That's something we don't see that much in college football anymore. A lot of these hybrid linebackers are more better at covering and making like open field tackles. These guys can definitely do that very well, but they can fill holes. And so that's why I think if they did play a, a team like Alabama or a Michigan State type of team, a downhill running team, they could they could beat them just as well as they could cover a Clemson team. Um, their defensive line, just like Clemson, is very, very good up front. They have um, Joe Jackson, Jonathan Garvin. Those guys are NFL prospects. And then also Jared Willis, who sat out last year for some personal issues, but the words coming out of camp from Miami is that he's tearing it up. I think their D-line is going to be nasty. And then they have very good defensive backs also, led by Jaquan Johnson and Michael Jackson. Those guys each had four interceptions last year. We all remember the turnover chain. So the Miami defense will be nasty. Miami has a ton of weapons on offense. The X factor for Miami is their quarterback play. If Malik Rozier plays like he did in the last three games for Miami last year, then I will be wrong. Miami won't be a playoff team. If he doesn't make mistakes, though, Miami has all the pieces around him for them to absolutely be a playoff team. 
I think a lot of people are just looking at the way he played last year and they don't really think Miami can be a playoff team this year. But And that might be true, but if he does play well and not great, just well, then I really don't see Miami slipping up that much. They have that opening game against LSU on September 2nd, and I honestly think they're going to walk all over LSU. LSU is just not as talented as they've been in years past, and I really think that Miami's going to win that game. After that, their next hard game will be October 6th when Florida State comes back down to Miami. I think they win that game. The one game I actually have Miami losing is Friday night, October 26th at Boston College. I just see that being a game that maybe if they do slip up, that would be the one. Um, Boston College is going to be stingy this year. They have a ton of seniors. They have one of the best secondaries in the country and a Heisman candidate at running back. And it's on a Friday night, which is always just a little awkward. So I actually think Miami could slip up there. But that's fine. It's a cross-division game. They will probably beat Virginia Tech on November 17th, though that game is at Virginia Tech. So that'll probably be Miami's toughest game besides maybe Florida State. But I just think Miami is going to you know, go 11-1 and in the regular season, and they're going to play Clemson in the ACC championship game just like they did last year, only this time they're going to be very hungry for revenge, and I think they're going to get it. I think they're going to beat Clemson in the ACC championship game. I think it might be a very close game, but think of the ACC championship game just like last year as a de facto playoff game for the playoff, and Miami just has to get to that game play out of their minds, make a couple more plays than Clemson, and they're in the playoff. And I think that's going to happen this year. So watch out for them. It would be kind of amazing if Mark Richt won a, a national championship before Kirby Smart does. Just a little ironic, but I think that Miami is going to get it done this year. And now I'll go back to the Big Ten and the team that Miami played in the Orange Bowl last year, Wisconsin. Wisconsin is going to be very good. They will be able to run the ball down people's throat. Their entire offensive line is back, which includes David Edwards, who was an All-American, Bo Benzenschwell, who was an All-American, and Michael uh, Dieter, who was All-Conference. And then they have a very talented sophomore running back, Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor was extremely productive last year, a very good running back. He could get in the Heisman conversation, I think, if Wisconsin is, is doing very well. Um at quarterback, they have Alex Hornibrook, who I think a lot of people put Alex Hornibrook in the category with like a Brian Wimbush or Malik Rozier, but I think he's good. He's at least good enough to win games. Um, if you look at Wisconsin's defense, linebackers are very, very good. Um, they have Ryan Conley, Andrew Van Grinkle, and TJ Edwards. Those guys are all very experienced. And they were very good at forcing passing downs last year, but I think that's where a problem might come in because their secondary is cause for concern with me. They lose four starters, and that's going to be make it very hard for them to beat Penn State and Ohio State. As I talked about with Ohio State, Ohio State has like five amazing receivers and finally has a quarterback that can distribute it to them. And then Penn State has Trace McSorley throwing the ball, if their secondary is weak, then they aren't going to be able to beat those teams. That's just the way it's going to be. So, and then again, their D-line lost Alec James and Connor Sheely last year. So, I think their defense is going to have them take a slight step back. 
I'm sure they have depth and some good guys coming in to replace those guys, but right now on paper, I just don't see Wisconsin having quite the season they had last year. Also, their schedule. Last year, Wisconsin got very lucky. They didn't play any of the good teams from the East, and they were undefeated until that Ohio State game in the Big Ten Championship game, which they lost. It was close, but they lost. This year, they are at Iowa on September 22nd, who they always play. That can be a tough game. October 13th, they're at Michigan, which is right after they play Nebraska. Now, I don't think Nebraska's going to be anything special this year, but they're going to be improved. And going to Michigan right after that Nebraska game could be tough. And then November 10th, they're at Penn State. And even if they're able to win that game at Penn State, like I said, I think Penn State is going to win the East, so they would have to play Penn State again. They're definitely not beating Penn State twice, not with the lack of secondary strength they have this year. Wisconsin's going to be really good. But I see them going 10-2. and two. And another team that is almost identical to Wisconsin in a lot of ways is Stanford. So let's talk about them. This is a flip-flopped Stanford team. Usually Stanford has a very solid running offense, which they still will have, and a very, very strong defense. But this year, Stanford's defense concerns me. They're replacing their top seven tacklers, and... They're probably going to have to play more freshmen than normal. They lose a lot of guys on the secondary, most notably Eric Reed. And it just, they probably have the guys to replace them, but their defense is just not going to be as good as a lot of David Shaw defenses we've seen. That being said, their offense is probably one of the best they've ever had. They have, obviously, Bryce Love, an amazing running back, probably going to be one of the top Heisman Trophy candidates. He had 2,118 yards last year, second best in Pac-12 history. Um, They have four or five starters back on the offensive line, and K.J. Costello is good enough to win. He can can make plays. If he improves this year, this Stanford team could be like Andrew Luck team mixed with um, Christian McCaffrey's team, which could be very, very explosive. Their receivers are decent, most notably uh, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. They also have Trent Irwin. And then Stanford always has great tight ends. Their tight ends grow on trees down there. This year it'll be uh, Colby Parkinson and Caden Smith. But like I said, their defense is a little shaky to me. So will the offense be able to carry what the Stanford defense usually provides. I don't know. Their schedule is okay. It's a little tough. They have USC September 8th. They're at Oregon on September 22nd. They're at Notre Dame. I don't think they're going to be able to beat Notre Dame. And then they're at Washington also. I think they might lose that game as well. So I think this team could go 10-2, and but I don't think they're going to go better than 10-2. and I just think that... The defensive losses that they have are going to be a little too much for them to overcome with their style. Again, the offense has the ability to be very explosive, and maybe Bryce Love just carries this team, and we don't notice the flaws with the defense. Or maybe they have enough guys that we just don't know about yet that the defense will be fine. But right now, based on what I can see about Stanford, I think they're a 10-2 and team at best. I think they could go 8-4 and even. Um, it's not an uncommon thing to see teams that have amazing offenses that are really flashy, but
but they're not there defensively where they should be, and their record just isn't there where they should be. You know, it's kind of a little similar to what I was talking about with Ohio State. I don't think they quite have the firepower on offense as Ohio State, but I just think the defense is going to be the Achilles heel of this team, which is a shame because it literally is probably going to be the best Stanford offense that we've seen definitely since Andrew Luck. And Bryce Love is incredible. He might still win the Heisman, even if Stanford loses three or four games. He's that good. But I don't know if Stanford can make the playoff. They definitely have an outside chance of it happening. I don't see it happening. Like I said, I think they're going to lose to Notre Dame for sure, and then probably the Washington game. If they do win the Washington game, though, they have a chance to win that division because the Notre Dame game is not a conference game. And if they win the division, they could go play for the Pac-12 championship. And if they only had one loss, obviously they'd make the playoff. But I don't think that's going to happen. I see this team losing three games. Still a very talented team. They have a chance to make a lot of noise. They could easily knock a team like Washington or Notre Dame out of the playoff, possibly. My prediction is still 9-3 and three at best. Okay, so next is Michigan. Is this the year Jim Harbaugh finally gets it done? Mm, maybe. It depends on how you look at it. I definitely think they're going to win some big games this year. The problem is, is they have a lot of big games this year. They open up at Notre Dame. Then October 13th, they host Wisconsin. Followed by the next week, October 20th, they're at Michigan State. Then they have a bye week. Then they have Penn State at home. And of course, they finish the year at Ohio State, which is a tough place to win. But that three-game stretch of Wisconsin, Michigan State, and Penn State all in a row, they do have a bye week in between the Michigan State and Penn State game, but there's no way they're winning all three of those games in a row. It's, it's just not going to happen. Now, they are going to win a couple of those big games this year, but I think they lose to Notre Dame, and I think they lose to Penn State. I do think they finally do beat Ohio State this year. They do need to get better on the offensive line. They were like little week last year, but this defense is going to be very good. They have eight starters back on defense. Um, Rashawn Gary and Chase Winovich, two DNs, combined for 14 sacks last year. Devin Bush is an All-American linebacker. They also have Khalid Hudson at linebacker. He's a very good player. They had the best pass defense last year, and the whole secondary is back, uh, led by Lavert Hill and David Long. So, this defense is going to be very, very stingy. I think possibly even more talented than, like I said, Notre Dame defense is going to be. But the offense is where things get a little tricky. They bring in Shea Patterson. Everybody's talking about that. The transfer from Ole Miss. They have um, Jim McElwain coming in to be the new offensive coordinator. And they have a lot of good receivers. They have Donovan Peoples-Jones, Tariq Black. They have a lot of depth at that position. If they can run the ball and protect Shea Patterson, again, I said they have offensive line questions. If they can protect Shea Patterson and he ends up being the quarterback that a lot of people think he can be, then this Michigan team could easily make the playoff or at least win the Big Ten. I don't think that Shea Patterson is the quarterback people think he's going to be. I think he came from a high-flying offense at Ole Miss where they throw the ball a million times a game, and that is kind of skewing people's minds when they look at his stats. Last year, he threw for 2,259 yards 
17 touchdowns, and he only started like seven games for Ole Miss. And people look at that and they rave over that. But I think he's more of a system quarterback. I don't think he's going to be able to come in at Michigan, drop back in a pro-style system, and make the throws. But it might not even necessarily be a pro-style system. Like I said, Jim McElwain's there at offensive coordinator. So maybe that could be the reason why Shea Patterson thrives the way some people think he's going to. I just think that he's not going to quite be that guy that a lot of people think. And like I said, if their offensive line doesn't improve, it's not going to matter because he's not going to have time to get the ball off and the type of offense that Michigan's probably going to be trying to run. But if he is as good as some people say he is, he has the playmakers around him, like I said, depth at receiver, and with this amazing defense to go with it, Michigan definitely could win the Big Ten, make the playoff if things go right. I think Shea Patterson's the key, though. And like I said, the schedule's really hard. My prediction is that Michigan will go 10-2. and two. I think they lose at Notre Dame week one, and then I think they lose either at Michigan State, maybe Penn State. I do think this is the year they finally beat Ohio State. And that is a bold prediction because I don't think Michigan has beaten Ohio State since... 2011 and I think before that the last time they beat them was like 2004 so since 2004 Michigan has only beaten Ohio State one time I'm pretty sure about that so that is tough but I do think this is the year they finally beat Ohio State I think that game will be one of those games where Michigan's gonna have two losses going into that game Ohio State will have one loss probably to Penn State and they're gonna be thinking that they can make the playoff as a one-loss team, and then Michigan comes in and beats them. Jim Harbaugh's finally going to get his win over Ohio State, bringing that rivalry back to where it should be, where it's back and forth. But that rivalry is historically streaky. If you look at it in the 90s, Ohio State had really good teams, but uh, Cooper just couldn't beat Michigan. And then when Jim Trussell came to Ohio State, Michigan had a lot of good teams for those years, but they just couldn't beat Ohio State. And Urban Meyer, it's been the same story. Michigan just hasn't been able to, to win. Um, Jim Harbaugh is a good coach. I think he is the right fit for Michigan. I'm not as hard on him as people like to be. They think, oh, he's 1-5 against Michigan State and Ohio State, and that's true. But, you know, he was one inch away from beating Ohio State in Columbus a couple years ago. A lot of people think that was a bad call anyway, and if it wasn't for that stupid punt kick that Michigan State ran back in 2015, he'd have a win over Michigan State. And in 2016, if he does beat Ohio State that game, he's in the Big Ten Championship game instead of Penn State, probably winning that game, probably going to the playoff, and then no one's saying any of the stuff they're saying about Jim Harbaugh. And I get it, that didn't happen, and he did lose those games, but... It's not like he was getting blown out in all of those games. There have been some games where Michigan hasn't performed, but Jim Harbaugh is the right fit for Michigan based on what they were before he got there. I think he's doing a good job. I'm not the hugest Harbaugh fan by any means. I think he's kind of a dork. Uh, I think his brain is going a million miles an hour, and his ADD is like even worse than mine. But I do think he's a great football coach and the right pick, and I think this could be the year that he wins some of those big games. But the schedule is just too tough. The Big Ten East is just too tough, so I don't have them in the playoff or winning their division. Like I said, I think that goes to Penn State. But I still think Michigan is a 10-win team this year, maybe 9-3 and at the worst, and they definitely have a ceiling that equals them getting into the playoff. 
And let's just stay right there in the Big Ten East and talk about Michigan State, who I think is just as good as Michigan and has just as good of a chance to be as good as a Penn State and Ohio State or Wisconsin. Like I said, the Big Ten is just its going to be a tough race this year. Right now, I'm not sure where the separation is going to come between Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, Penn State, and Wisconsin. I do think Penn State will be that team that breaks through that and makes the playoff. But it really is a toss-up. Any one of those five teams has a chance to win the Big Ten and make the playoff. When you do talk about Michigan State, they have 21 starters returning. And this is a team that won 10 games last year. Um, they have Brian Lewerke at quarterback. He's solid. Again, he is like a like a horny brook for Wisconsin. He's, he's good enough to get it done. And he makes some throws. His top four targets are back. You know, Cody White, Daryl Stewart Jr. leading the way there. If running back LJ Scott can have a season similar to his freshman year and they can improve on running the ball, then I think they'll be a lot better. Last year, they didn't run the ball on first down very well. And this is Michigan State. That's very surprising. And a Michigan State team that didn't run the ball very well on third on first down but was still able to get 10 wins, that is why I think this year, if they can improve that stat, they could be very, very good. They have a solid defense. They're stingy, like Mark D'Antonio teams always are. I think the X factor, like I said, is the run game. If they can improve that, this team's going to be very scary. And then Lewerke, if he can improve on last year on top of the run game getting better, I think this Michigan State team is going to be hard to beat. I actually think that other, I like I said, Penn State, I think, is winning the division. But I think Michigan State might be the second-best team in that division, which is contrary to a lot of people think. A lot of people think it's Ohio State and maybe Michigan after them. I think Penn State's going to the playoff, and I think Michigan State might be the next best team in that division. They get a little lucky with the schedule. They don't have Wisconsin or any of the tough teams from the other side of the, of the conference, and they have no tough non-conference games, no Oregon this year, nothing like that. They have Penn State on the road on October 13th. They host Michigan October 20th, and they host Ohio State on November 10th. I think they lose the Penn State game on the road, but I think they have a very good chance to beat both Michigan and Ohio State at home. Michigan State is tough to beat at home. So look for them to make a lot of noise. If Penn State doesn't make the playoff out of the Big Ten, I think it is going to be Michigan State. So this could be one of the better Mark D'Antonio teams we've seen. And I think that if a lot of things go their way, they have a very high ceiling. If they get to the Big Ten Championship game with one loss, then they're going to the playoff if they win. And, you know, I think worst case scenario for Michigan State this year would maybe be 9-3 again. But I have them going 10-2. and So, okay, let's jump all the way to the other side of the country now in USC. And other than Washington and Stanford, I think USC is the only other Pac-12 team that has a realistic shot to make the playoff. I think maybe Oregon has a really outside chance. But other than those four teams, I don't see anyone from the Pac-12 making any noise or going to New Year's Six Bowl games. USC has a ton of offensive weapons. If you look at running back, yes, they are replacing Ronald Jones, but Stephen Carr, who was a freshman last year, I think he's going to have a really good breakout year. A wide receiver, they do lose Deontay Burnett, who was one of my favorite receivers last year, and they do lose Stephen Mitchell, but they have Tyler Vons, Michael Pittman Jr., and a lots of upcoming talent at that position. It's just the quarterback where it gets a little tricky on offense, but 
They're in a battle right now. It's between Matt Matt Fink, Jack Sears, who's a redshirt freshman, and a lot of people are really high on this true freshman, JT Daniels, who was a big-time recruit. Their run defense has to improve. Last year, they gave up a lot of running yards, and that might be hard for them to do. They do bring in a lot of talent in recruiting classes, but they don't have a ton of experience on the defense. Their pass defense is very good, but that's not going to matter if they can't stop people running the ball. So on top of that, their red zone offense needs to improve a lot. Even though they had Sam Darnold last year, who was an amazing quarterback, they struggled in the red zone. Some of their notable games are, of course, they have that tough week two game at Stanford. That'll be very tough, especially because the very next week they're at Texas. I honestly think that USC is going to lose both of those games early. And then I think they do win every other game on their schedule except for the very end, Notre Dame. I, I just think Notre Dame's too good this year. But USC going 9-3, and three, that's my prediction. But if quarterback play goes well for them, if the offensive line blocks and they do improve their run defense, they do have an outside shot at winning the Pac-12 and possibly making the playoff. I think they definitely have a chance to get to a New Year's 6 game at 9-3. and three. But I just don't think they're going to beat Notre Dame or Stanford. Maybe Texas. I, I think Texas might get them this year, but they definitely have a chance to win that game. That's a toss-up. That's a hard one for me to pick. But I do think other than the Stanford and Notre Dame game, they will win every other game on their schedule. They don't have to play Oregon this year. So they're going to have a good record, which means they're probably going to New Year's Six game, and they're going to have a chance to win that game. Last year they got embarrassed in the Cotton Bowl to Ohio State, and I think – Clay Helton needs another New Year's Six victory. And I think he could has a really good chance to get that this year. And now we'll jump all the way back over from the West Coast to the East Coast again and talk about Florida State. Florida State's a very interesting team this year. Last year they were preseason number three and they ended up going seven and six. Jimbo Fisher's gone. I was a big Jimbo Fisher fan. I think he was a great coach. Not so much that last year. Kind of seems like he gave up halfway through the year. He took the Texas A&M job, and Florida State brings in Willie Taggart. And I don't know how I feel about Willie Taggart. I think that the Florida State faithful are overhyping Willie Taggart. They think it's just absolutely going to be a recipe for success. And I think the media outside of Tallahassee are kind of underplaying Willie Taggart. They kind of think Florida State is a team to write off this year. I think it's somewhere in between. Obviously, if things go right, Florida State can be great. Just like Clemson and Miami, skill position-wise, Florida State is absolutely loaded. If you look at their secondary, everybody in Tallahassee right now is raving over the secondary. They're going to be tremendous. The defensive line, led by Brian Burns, should be really good. Sophomores Marvin Wilson and Josh Kando, who were both really big recruits coming into last year, they'll also be on the D-line. The ACC defensive line, when you talk about Clemson, Miami, and Florida State, is just going to be very good. But getting back to Florida State, if you move to the offensive side of the ball, sophomore running back Cam Akers, he should have a really, really good year. He also has Jacquez Patrick next to him. And another five-star recruit running back that set out last year, redshirted, was Kalen LeBourne. So three really talented running backs to go with a handful of really good receivers also. Nyquan Murray will be a senior. He, when he is flashed, 
it's been really good. He's made some big, big plays for Florida State over the last few years, going back to that Orange Bowl game-winning catch against Michigan in 2016. And then you have Keith Gavin, who's showed some explosiveness. He just hasn't been consistent yet, but hardly anyone was consistent on Florida State last year with what happened. And then I want you guys to remember this name, Terramon Terry. This guy is going to be a very good wide receiver over the next two years for Florida State. Probably going to be a very high draft pick. Terramon Terry, remember that. He, what everyone in Tallahassee is saying is that he's just absolutely amazing. He's going to be a great receiver, probably be a big-time NFL pick. The thing in Tallahassee is the quarterback situation. That's where we're not sure what's going to happen. It's DeAndre Francois versus James Blackman at the quarterback battle. Both of these guys have played an entire season of football, Francois in 16, and then when he got injured against Bama in week one last year, James Blackman, as a true freshman, played the whole season. And when that happened, most people in Tallahassee said, that Francois will probably never be the starter again. But I think with Willie Taggart coming in, that changes things because I do think Francois fits Willie Taggart's offense better than Blackman. Blackman throws a better deep ball than Francois, but Francois has a very quick release and I think is more efficient when it comes to all those intermediate throws, which is the majority of Taggart's offense. So Florida State has a lot of potential, but... The offensive line is a huge question mark for Florida State, just like it's been the last two years. If the offensive line is improved, and they would have to improve fairly drastically, then Florida State could be an 11-1 team. They do have a very, very tough schedule, though, and that's why I see them going 9-3 and this year. I think they lose, you know, probably to Clemson. The Notre Dame game is going to be very tough, and also they have a very tough stretch. I believe they play Clemson... Then they're at NC State the following week. Then they're at Notre Dame the week after that. Then they play Boston College and then Florida. That is just a very tough stretch. Florida State has a history of beating Clemson at home and then losing to NC State on the road the following week. That's just something that they've done. They did that in 2010 and 2012 when they were ranked the number three in the country. And on top of that, you just figure that as good as Willie Taggart might be, he's going to have some growing pains year one. I mean, this is his first year at a big-time program. Sorry, Oregon. You're just not as big as this job is. And even at Oregon, like, I don't know what we really know about Willie Taggart. I mean, we have no idea if he can really, really coach at this stage. And I hope he does well. I want him to succeed. Where I do put a lot of faith in him is the staff that he put together. He brought in Walt Bell to be the co-offensive coordinator. Walt Bell had amazing offenses that were very productive at Maryland over the last couple of years. He brought in Harlan Barnett from Michigan State to run the defense. Florida State desperately needed a new defensive coordinator. They've had five-star and four-star recruits all over the field, guys that were recruited by Alabama, yet somehow they were just not very productive on defense the last two years. And Harlan Barnett has always had significantly good defenses up at Michigan State, and I think he's going to bring that down to Tallahassee. So Florida State's kind of a head-scratcher because I can see them going 8-4, and four, and I can see them going 11-1. and one. It's just it's just really hard to say. Their schedule's very tough. I think going 9-3 and three with their schedule would be impressive because it's just really hard. They have a very hard schedule, and I think the ACC Atlantic is a tough division. I think with uh, Wake Forest and Boston College, 
two teams that don't really compare to some of the tough games on the schedule, but they're still hard teams to beat, especially when they're sandwiched in between some of these bigger games. NC State's going to be tough. And then, of course, Florida State plays Florida every year, and Dan Mullen's going to have them improved. So Florida State, a tricky team. I think they're going to go 9-3. and three. But they do have the potential for a lot of upside if the offensive line plays well, if Willie Taggart is everything that we think he's going to be. But we just don't know right now. We just don't know what they're going to be. We're going to have to wait and see. The only other team I want to seriously break down is Oklahoma. I realize I haven't even talked about the Big 12 yet. But that's because I think Oklahoma is the only team that has a chance to win the Big 12 and make a New Year's Six game and maybe the playoff. I don't think Oklahoma is going to make the playoff. But they do have a chance, too, because I think they will be the Big 12 champion. No Baker Mayfield. They lose a couple guys on defense. There is a lot of offensive firepower at Oklahoma still, especially when you think of uh, Marquise Brown, who's a crazy speedster. And then you have CeeDee Lamb, Michael Jones. These are really talented, really fast receivers. And they're going to put up yards because of the offense that Oklahoma runs. And Kyler Murray is a good quarterback. He's going to be an efficient Big 12 quarterback, but he's not Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield was a very special player, and you don't just replace a Baker Mayfield. A lot of people think because of all the weapons at Oklahoma that Kyler Murray is going to come in and Oklahoma is just going to take a slight step back. But Baker Mayfield was that offense. He was a leader. He rallied that team. And I think they're going to take a significant step back and lose a couple more games this year. I'm also not the biggest Mike Riley fan. I think that he did well in his first year, but a lot of coaches do well in their first year when inheriting a really good team, especially one with Baker Mayfield. And I think that is a huge part of it for me. I think if this was another Bob Stoops team, I'd be a little higher in Oklahoma, but I just, something about Mike Riley hasn't quite clicked for me yet. And maybe I'm dead wrong. I could be dead wrong about that. But this is the year where if Oklahoma does really good, goes 11-1 and or something, maybe makes the playoff again, or even if they make a New Year's Six Bowl and win it definitively, then I'll definitely be a lot higher on Mike Riley, but I just think that we're slowly about to see that Oklahoma slips down in the Big 12 to teams like Texas and TCU coming back, but again, with them, we're just going to have to wait and see. They still have a chance to be very good, and I think they do have a high ceiling. My prediction is just that they'll be more of a 9-3, and three, maybe 10-2 and two team this year. I do have them winning the Big 12. Not very big on the Big 12 this year. I think Oklahoma is definitely the best team in the Big 12, and the Big 12 is probably the weakest conference this year. So it is what it is there. And those 16 teams that I just went through, I think are the main teams to be on the lookout for this year. I would be pretty surprised if a team that I haven't mentioned yet makes a New Year's Six game, and I'd be pretty shocked if a team I haven't mentioned yet makes the playoff. But there still are a lot of other teams that can make some noise. Like I think TCU is the only other Big 12 team that really has a chance besides West Virginia. I was really high on West Virginia originally because of Will Greer. I think they have a chance to be really good, but they just don't play defense there. So that's not a thing. And then with TCU, I actually think TCU's defense is going to be very good this year. But I think their offense takes too much of a step back to really compete in the Big 12. Obviously, keeping in the Big 12, Oklahoma State has a chance. But Oklahoma, to me, is still the only team in the Big 12 that has a chance to make a New Year's Six game or, or possibly the playoff. When you look at some other teams in the country that might make some noise, I think 
You know, South Carolina's pretty good. Will Muschamp's improving them a lot, and their offense should be better. I think if you look at Virginia Tech, that's a team. You know, Justin Fuente's third year with the program, and they do have a sophomore quarterback, Josh Jackson, who was pretty good last year, and most of his games struggled down the stretch, but they should be pretty good. I think they're going to be an 8-4 and four team, maybe 9-3. and three. Keeping it in the ACC, I think NC State has an outside chance to make some noise, maybe be an 8-4 and four team this year. Mike Finley is a really good quarterback. A lot of people have him as the number one quarterback in the nation, so obviously that's going to give them a chance. I think that LSU, of course, has a chance to be decent. There is talent there. If they can get good quarterback play out of um, Burrow, who transferred in from Ohio State, same thing with Oregon. Oregon, I think, has a chance to make some noise in the North. They could win some games. They have Stanford and Washington at home, which is big time. And if Justin Herbert plays to the level that a lot of people think he's capable of playing, then I think Oregon might actually have a chance to make some serious noise in the Pac-12 because there aren't a lot of good secondaries, except for Washington, obviously. Mississippi State could be pretty good, but they're not going to be... Alabama or Auburn, so not a whole lot to say there. And that's pretty much it, I think. I think all the teams that I've mentioned so far are the only teams that have a chance to potentially make New Year's Six Bowl games and have outside or good shots at making the playoff. So with that being said, let me get on to my official final predictions for the New Year's Six games and the playoff and my national championship game and champion. So I think that the playoff is going to be Penn State versus Washington in the Cotton Bowl and Miami versus Notre Dame in the Orange Bowl. And I'm picking Penn State to beat Washington, Miami to beat Notre Dame, and Miami to beat Penn State in the national championship. I think that Miami will be the national champion this year. I understand that that's not everyone's big pick, Clemson might be the best bet, but I really think Miami has a chance to surprise some people and win the national title this year if things go their way, if they get hot at the right time. When you look at the other four big bowl games, I think we're going to see Auburn versus Ohio State in the Sugar Bowl. That would be a fun matchup. I think we're going to see Michigan versus USC in the Rose Bowl. I've got Oklahoma versus Clemson in the Fiesta Bowl. And then I've got Alabama versus Florida State in the Peach Bowl. And that's just kind of the way things fell. Even though I have Wisconsin going 10-2, and two, I, you can't have Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan State and Wisconsin all making New Year's Six Bowl games. That's just not how it works. Even if they all went 10-2, and two, probably three of them would make it and two of them wouldn't. And again, I'm sure some people are like, wait a minute, did you not put Georgia in? Again, because I have Auburn winning the SEC at 10-2 and two over Georgia in the championship game, and I only have Alabama losing one game, I just didn't really see how three SEC teams would make it. But I did have three ACC teams in, so again, it just kind of depends on the matchups. But those are my predictions for the New Year's Six games and for the playoff national championship but as gene deckerhoff likes to say i can't wait till the toe hits the leather and we're just gonna have to wait and see when games start being played 
that's when we'll really know what starts to shape up and where the 2018 season is really going. So thank you for listening. This has been a long, long episode of predictions for the season, broke down a lot of teams, and I will see you guys next time. Thank you.